The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au Ephesians 5, verse 21 to the end of the chapter. And the Word of God says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot <clears throat> or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies, he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. I think I need to give a disclaimer before I preach today's message. I have a wonderful marriage. I'm married to a very wonderful woman, and she's a very godly woman. But in preaching this and in preparing this, I'm very much reminded that my marriage is far from perfect. And so everything I'm saying this morning is coming with a twofold attention, if you like. I can see in this text what I need to be and what I should be and what I ought to be. And I can also see what I'm not as a husband. And so even though I will preach this and, and use the force that I would like to use, I am using it with regard to myself as much as every other husband in the room. So please don't get the idea from anything that I'm saying this morning that I have got a perfect marriage. I don't. We have a great marriage, and our marriage is doing very well by God's grace, but it's far from perfect. And there are things that we need to work on, just like every other marriage in this room. There are things you need to work on. And these scriptures are given to us that we might all grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might grow in our relationships with as husbands and wives this morning. Well, what I want to do, first of all, is give you a bit of a logic of how the logic of the text unpacks from verse 21 down to verse 33. And I want you to notice, first of all, in 21 is the command to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then in verse 22, Paul gives one example of that. He says, wives, literally wives to your own husbands. So the submission there, the word submit, is actually drawn from the previous verse and the previous part of the sentence. By the way, I mentioned last week, I'm going to mention it again. The sentence does not begin in verse 22. It actually begins in verse 21 and verse 22. 
22 is a continuation and example of the main point in verse 21. He also gives the first comparison that her submission is as to the Lord. And then in verse 23, he gives the cause or the reason for her submission is that the husband is the head of the wife. And then he gives another comparison, the second one, as Christ is head of the church. Then in verse 24, Christ is further described as a savior of the body. And then he gives a third comparison, as Christ is subject, sorry, as church is subject to Christ, he calls the wives to be subject to their husbands in everything. And then verse 25 is the second main command of the, of the passage. In verse 25, husbands love your wives. And he gives a fourth comparison, just as Christ loved and gave himself for the church. And in verse 26, he introduces the first of two purposes for why we are to love our wives and why Christ loved and gave himself for the church. And the first one is to sanctify her, the church. And the prior act before the sanctification process is the washing of her by the water of the word. And even though it says having washed, the idea is that washing is continuing and carrying all the way through. And then he says... The second purpose in verse 27 is to present the church to himself. And Paul calls husbands to follow Christ's example in verse 28 and love their wives. And the comparison again is a fifth comparison. As the husband loves his own body, so he is to love his wife and care for her and nourish her and so on. Verse 29, he explains it by a contrast. No one ever hated his own flesh, but all nourish and cherish it. And then verse 30 is the sixth comparison, as Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. In verse 31, you have that Old Testament quote right out of Genesis chapter 2, I believe it is. The husbands and wife are one body and one flesh, as Christ and the church is one spiritual body. That idea... The one flesh idea, Christ and the body one, is the underlying main truth that drives the whole teaching of the whole passage. And then verse 32, that he asserts that the church, the mystery of marriage is great, but he's speaking of Christ and the church. Like I said a minute ago, there's an underlying truth, but there are six comparisons that are given in that text and the comparison keeps coming up. Wives are to submit as the church submits, and husbands are to love as Christ loves. That's a powerful truth that underlies the whole thing, that they are one body. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it. And the truth, the reality of the fact that in a marriage there are two distinct persons, but one flesh, one body in God's sight, there are two distinct persons that are equal in value, but they have complementary roles. We looked last week about wives and submission and how God, when he created the woman, he looked for one who was an opposite, a complementary to the husband. So the wife is opposite to the man. Man and women are opposite. They're not the same. So why same-sex marriage just is, flies in the face of everything God teaches and the very nature of the way in which we were created. There are two distinct persons, equal in value, but with complementary roles. 
We often talk about, especially in wedding ceremonies, and, and Heather and I have had a chance to do some marriage counseling and premarital counseling before I've married couples in the past, as well as one here in Australia, about the idea of the church in Christ and the husband and the wife. And somehow in our minds, we've gotten the idea, probably because we can see each other, and we can see the reality of marriage around us, that we are the, the main thing. We're the reality, but the Christ and the church is kind of the picture. But in Paul's mind, that's the other way around. That Christ and the church is the far greater reality for which marriage between husband and wife is a very grainy, shadowy, fading image. For one thing, we are in betrothed to Christ as his bride. And one day there'll be the marriage supper of the Lamb. The church will be together with Christ and together for eternity. But our marriages sadly, are going to end at the time we die. We're married and joined together until death do we part, right? I think that's a, I think it's an okay thing. I'd love to be married for eternity to Heath. I think that would be the awesomest thing. I'm not so sure she feels the same way, but that's okay. I understand that too. But that's the reality of it. Our marriages are temporary and fading. They're going to end at death, but the reality of Christ in the church is going to carry on through all of eternity. So our marriages are visible pictures, faint and fleeting and failing pictures of Christ in the church. In love, Christ chose us before the foundation of the universe to be his bride. Husbands choose their wives not long before they get married. In love, Christ committed himself to us as our bridegroom. And in love, Christ proved and displayed his love by leaving his Father, coming and purchasing us on a cross. In love, Christ betrothed and promised himself to us as his bride. And he gave us the Holy Spirit. I love the fact that we wear wedding rings in our culture. I love the fact that you go out and you buy your girl the most expensive, elaborate ring. I also love the way the jewelers are sneaky, man. They put that black cloth down. They put that little tiny dime on the black cloth. And it looks so much bigger on the black cloth. And then you put it on her finger and it all of a sudden looks so much smaller, right? That's the way it works. But we go out and we purchase something and we display and prove our love by giving her that ring as an engagement. And she walks around. And my wife, when she first got that ring, everywhere she went, she was like this, right? You know, she, her hand came up because, and she was, you know, catching the light with it and making sure everybody could see. And what she was saying was betrothed, engaged. And the, the Son of God gives us and fills us. His Holy Spirit as a mark that brands us that we belong to somebody else. We are betrothed to Christ for a whole of this journey in this world. That's our betrothal time. In love, Christ paid an infinitely high price to prepare the church. He loved her and gave himself for her. He's washed the stain and guilt of sin away. He's cleansed our guilty consciences. He is reforming and perfecting our mindset, our attitudes, and our behavior. He is, in a very real sense, clothing us with white robes of righteousness, just like a bride coming through those doors. And one day... Faith will give way to sight. And if you like, the back doors of the church will open. And the bride will come through, but we'll be the bride. And Christ will be there to meet us. And that betrothal will give way to a beautiful wedding and a marriage ceremony together. And we will forever be with our Lord. 
Christ has loved his bride, the church. Christ now calls his men, believing men, to display that Christ-like love to their wives and to the world. And from the text, I can't look at all of it. It just can't unpack it. I don't have enough time. But I want to look specifically at four things about how we are to love our wives. Number one, we're to love our wives sacrificially. Secondly, we're to love our wives purposefully. Thirdly, we're to love our wives ministerially. And fourthly, we're to love our wives tenderly. So first of all, number one, husbands, let's love our wives sacrificially. Notice the text in 5 and verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. That is not phileo love, the caring, enjoyment, friendship, love. It's great to have a friendship and a marriage. It's very, very important. In fact, great marriages are built on great friendships. But that's not the love he's talking about here. It's not eros, the erotic love, the sexual love. Obviously, a marriage requires that. But that's not the love he's speaking about here. What he's speaking about is the hagape love, the sacrificial love, the Christian love. That's the Christ-like love that desires and strives for the other's good. This is Christ-like love that is characterized by the willing giving up of rights and privileges for the other's benefit. And Christ set the ultimate example for us to love our wives. He loved us. The Bible tells us with the love that he knew and experienced from his father. In John 15, verse 9, the Bible says, Just as the father has loved me, excuse me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Christ loved us sacrificially by dying for us for our good. What's the Bible saying in 1 John 3.16? We know love. We recognize love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, the command to love applies in this text specifically to wives, but obviously, in a much broader sense, we are to love one another with the same love in the church. What did Jesus say? How will they know you're my disciples? Because you go to church? No. Well, you do. They'll know you're my disciples. Why? Because you carry a great big book. Lots of religions carry great big books. Ours happens to be the only one written by God, but that's not how they'll know. Well, they know because you keep, keep every week dedicated specific religious rituals. You check off your box every week. No. He said, they'll know you are my disciples. They will know you. They'll recognize you by the love that you have one for the other. That's exactly what he's talking about here. The command of love is specifically for the wise, but it's also broadly for all believers. Christ loved us and gave himself for us for our greater good. And our greater good was to experience God's love, to be reconciled to God, and to be made like Christ. Christ's sacrificial love, dying for us, accomplished that. He gave himself so we could be forgiven. He gave himself up in love for us so we could be cleansed from a guilty conscience. He loved us so we could be set free from sin to glorify God. And Christ loved us by willingly laying aside his glory. He sacrificed he suffered, and it wasn't just on the cross. In heaven, he put, put aside his glory, like taking off an outer garment. He laid it aside. He left the glory of his Father and all the angels and those worshiping him around the throne. He condescended to become a little tiny baby. 
He walked this earth. He worked as a carpenter. He worked amongst men. He spent 90% of his life in total obscurity, unknown to most. In the last three years of his life, he walked amongst the people of God, teaching them and preaching them. In the end, they rejected him and wanted nothing to do with him. We will not have this man to rule over us. He suffered all those things. He was willing to do it. And notice what Paul says in chapter 5 of Ephesians. He says in verse number 1 and 2, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. His love was a sacrificial love. He loved the church sacrificially. In John 13, verse 1, it says, He loved His own, and He loved them to the very end. In other words, He was willing to love them right to the very end of His life. And He carried it through. And the command, of course, is, Husbands, love your wives as, in comparison, in the same way as Christ loved the church. You think about your salvation for a moment. Did Christ love you with a cheap love? No. Did Christ love the church half-heartedly? No way. Christ loved the church wholeheartedly and sacrificially. So husbands, let's love our wives by willingly sacrificing our rights and privileges to achieve their greatest good. Let's love our wives wholeheartedly as Christ loved. Let's love our wives richly and serve them wisely. I know some of you kind of go, uh, what? Serve? Sorry, didn't you say last week about wives submitting? Surely my, my role is to be served, right? You know what Jesus said? For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The role of a husband is to lovingly lead his wife, but also to lead her by serving her. Husbands, love your wives by dying for them. That's what it means to give himself up for her. Die to ourselves, to our desires, our wants, and our rights. We must die also to the world, which means we leave all other women for her sake. I have no knowledge of anything like this in this church, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you're here in this church and you have something on the side, men... Stop. I don't know of anybody who is, but I just feel compelled to, sh- to say it. If that's something that you're entertaining, something that you're playing with, you are playing with the most hottest fire in the world. I don't mean the other woman. I mean God who will deal with you because of it. Stop. Don't go there. You're making a horrible mistake. We die to ourselves. We die to our desires and wants and rights. We as men and husbands enjoy the richest benefits of Christ's sacrificial death. We have peace with God. We have forgiveness of sins. We have the filling of the Spirit. We have the infinite joy because Christ loved us and died for us. And having been commanded... By Scripture, it's an imperative command, strong words. We are to do the same. How can we now, how can we refuse or be slow to love our wives as He loved us? The proof of our having truly received Christ's love is we love them. What did Jesus say? 
For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loves much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. The way in which you love your wife, husbands, displays how much you understand of the what you've been forgiven for. Christ has forgiven you so much. He has loved you to a level that you can't even comprehend, never mind fully match. But he calls you to love your wives in the same way that he loved us. Husbands, let's love our wives sacrificially. Let's die to ourselves and die for them that they might grow in Christ's likeness, that they might be more like Jesus. Secondly, husbands, we're to love our wives purposefully. Notice the text in verses 26 and 27. He says, "...that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word." that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. There are two purposes for which Christ loved us. He loved us, number one, to sanctify us. And that sanctification process begins with saving us from the wrath of God. He set us apart, if you like, from the wrath of God. He rescued us from it. He also continued that by justifying us. You say, what is justification? It means he declares us righteous in God's sight. Some have tried to change it and say he makes us righteous. It's not true. It is actually specifically that he declares. It's a legal statement. Justificare in the Latin or decaiosune in the Greek. It means declared to be right in God's sight. And that is a momentary event. The moment we trust Christ, the moment God's grace begins to work in our lives, we are declared by God to be right. And then he carries that process forward in sanctification. And there's two ways that you have to get your head around about sanctification. Two things that are very true. Number one, we are right now, completely sanctified, positionally. So when God looks at us through the lens of Christ, He sees what we will be when the work is finished as if it were already finished. The Bible says we are sanctified. There's also the truth that we are being sanctified. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, uh, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ saints by calling. He also says in Hebrews 2.11, for both he who sanctifies, that's an ongoing process, and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. So there's a process in work. And God is steadily, continually setting us apart for himself. Christ loved us to present himself, secondly, holy and blameless. Like I said a moment ago, the back door is open. She walks in. Bride is perfect. Her hair is perfect. Her makeup is perfect. The dress is absolutely perfect. She's cleansed. She's washed. She's ready to meet her groom. That's the picture. And it's the exact reality of one day will come when the doors of the church, if you like, the pathway of death through from this life to the next will open and give way. And the work in us will be finished as we step through that death door into Christ's presence. And we will know what it is to have all the work done in us. We will be fully holy and fully blameless. It's the conclusion of His work in us. It's the culmination, the end when Christ returns. 
Christ is going to gather us and present us to himself. The Bible says in Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to... That's a purpose in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Listen, God did not simply save you to set you free from the wrath of God, to let you live any which way you like after that and carry on through your life like any other person living in this world. He saved you to set you apart, to make you holy and blameless. And the end result that we are all looking forward to is not life in this world, but it's the next one. It's seeing Christ face to face. It's having that work finished in us so that we're prepared and ready to meet him as our savior and our maker. Husbands, let's love our wives just as Christ loved us. Let's love them in the very same way. Husbands, Christ voluntarily, willingly died in order to sanctify us and make us holy, both you and your wife, holy to the Lord. So we must die to ourselves, die to our desires in order to sanctify them. Now, obviously, I don't need me to tell you this, but I'll say it anyway. Obviously, it's Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that does the actual spiritual sanctifying of our wives. We don't do that part. But what we do is we promote it and we facilitate that sanctification process in our wives. So we love them by striving for their holiness. We love them by praying and pleading with God for their growth in holiness. Husbands, I'll ask you the hard question. When was the last time you prayed for your wife that she might grow in holiness and sanctification? We strive for that holiness. We do all that we can to promote it. We pray and plead with God for their growth in holiness. We love them by encouraging them in the disciplines of the Christian life that promote godliness and holiness. We love our wives by encouraging them and cheering them on in their own prayer time and their Bible reading and Bible study. We love them by making way, making time, making ability for them to attend the Bible studies and the prayer meetings and the ladies' fellowship groups. Why? so that they might grow in Christ's likeness. We love our wives by facilitating and promoting the work of God in their lives that they might be more like Christ. Listen to what the Bible says. The writer of Hebrews said this way. He said, let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another Some versions have the word, let us provoke. I love that word. Let's get behind them. No, not like this with your wife, but let's get behind them and push them. Let's let's provoke in a gentle way our wives, right? Provoke them to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another. Let's get behind our wives and encourage them to spend time in God's Word. Encourage them to spend time in prayer. Encourage them to be at the ladies' groups. Guys, do the dishes for your wife so she can go to Bible study. I know, I just crossed a very big line. Because doing the dishes, you know, I mean, we'll die for our wives, but we ain't doing the dishes. Let's, let's, let's get it straight, right? Let's do those things that set them free. 
Guys, we can be really selfish. And I'm saying that because I know my own heart just enough to know it's exactly what we can be like. I got time to study. Oh, I have to be at this Bible study and I have to be at that Bible study. But when things, heaven needs to go somewhere, how quick, well, yeah, but you know, the, the laundry's not done. Or, well, yeah, but you know, that the other thing is not done. I'd never ever say it to her because I, I probably wouldn't live through the experience. No, I'm joking. But you know what? We're selfish. We find all kinds of ways and means to feed ourselves, not just this way, but also in our hearts through the Word of God. And how quickly do we hinder our wives from the same things that they desperately need? Men, let's, let's love our wives in order to sanctify them. Let's encourage them in their spiritual growth. If agape love is a sacrificing of my rights and privileges for their greater good and benefit, should we not be willing and urging and encouraging our wonderful wives to grow in holiness? What greater good can I do for my wife and to love her with the purpose of her sanctification? Listen, what greater blessing can I bring to my wife and my marriage than to strive for her holiness? Godly woman is a wonderful thing and a very powerful tool in God's hands. And Paul is saying, listen, husbands, you live out the love that you have experienced. Love your wives in order to set them apart to God. Love your wives by striving for their holiness to present them to Christ as holy and blameless. Thirdly, husbands, love your wives ministerially. I got to say, I don't like the word ministerially. I was trying so hard yesterday to figure out a word that was a little less clinical than ministerially. So if you can think of a better word, come and tell me because I'll change it. But the idea here is, listen, Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her, verse 26, having washed and cleansed her by washing of water of word. He cleansed her by washing her with the applied word of God. His teaching, his preaching, his ministry to the church had the effect of a spiritual bath. Christ loved the church by teaching the people the truth. He came preaching the gospel. He came teaching in the synagogues. He came speaking the word to the people there and to us through the scriptures. He came teaching them the parables. He patiently explained to his disciples and to us in the gospel the meaning of those parables. He promised them the Holy Spirit who would remind them and us of all that he said and taught. And Jesus came doing other things too. He came healing. He came doing miracles. But he made a very strong point to his disciples that the reason he came, number one, was to preach the gospel and share the word of God. Christ loved the church by giving it ministry gifts. We saw in Ephesians 4 how he loved the church by giving it the preaching and writing of the scripture by the apostles. He loved the church by giving it evangelists to proclaim the gospel. He loved the church by giving it prophet and preachers who stand up and speak as God's spokesman, proclaiming and declaring the truth of God. He loved the church by giving it pastors and shepherds and teachers and elders who can share and minister the word of God. He spent all of that. He gave all that to constantly be washing and applying the word of God to his bride to cleanse her and make her ready. 
But the point is, husbands, we are commanded to love our wives just as, in the same way that Christ loved the church, by washing our wives with the water of the word. We are to do the very same things. We're to wash our wives by ministering the word of God to them. We're to love our wives by, listen, gently, carefully, wisely, graciously applying the word of God to them. Read the scriptures with your wife. Read a devotional book together. Bring the word of God to bear on your marriage, the two of you. Lovingly lead her in your marriage by washing her with the water of the word of God. But listen, great wisdom is necessary here. Let's not wash them with boiling hot water and a wire scrubbing brush. Right? Don't sit down tonight and go, let's go do uh, Proverbs 31 and we'll do a verse by verse examination of Proverbs 31, the godly woman, and we'll see ways that you can improve. Don't do that. Proverbs 31 is a great passage. Absolutely. But we don't wash them with a wire brush. We wash them gently. Don't sit down with your wife and do a cover-to-cover Bible study on wives submit to your husbands. She might just return the favor by doing a thorough study of what it means for a husband to love his wife by dying for her. And you'll be in trouble. The idea, guys, is to sit down with our wives and open the Word of God and together go through it, learning what we can learn together from Scripture so the Spirit of God can take those words of God and apply them to her heart. He applies it to her heart as we share, and He applies it to my heart as we read together. The idea is to minister to the Word of God so that she is being washed gently by the Word and made more ready more prepared to meet her Savior and her Maker. Let's wash them gently. Don't beat them up with the Word of God. Don't cause her to choke on the Word of God by our unwise, careless handling of her or the Word of God. Love her by wisely, gently ministering the Word to her. Husbands, shepherd your wives with the Word. You say, what about when my wife really does need correction? Okay? It does happen. But listen, let me tell you something. A friend of mine who is, he's about six foot one, and his wife is about five foot six, five foot seven maybe. And he said, whenever I bring something to Lynn, he says, not very often. He said, I go and I find her and we sit down. She sits on the couch and he goes, I sit on the floor. I said, why do you sit on the floor, man? He said, because then my head is lower than hers. And when I'm sharing to her, I'm looking up at her. He said, I'm a big guy. I'm a carpenter. I'm somewhat aggressive. And she's a gentle, quiet little lady. He said, the danger is that just the way I am, it'll become an aggressive thing. That's very dangerous. He said, I sit down on the floor so my head is lower than hers. And I speak quietly and gently and I look up to her physically, so that she never has the idea that I'm intimidating her by what I'm saying. That's a tremendous amount of wisdom. There are times when we need to talk about things in our marriages that are difficult. And wives, the scripture is there to submit, and we talked about it last week. And guys, here is where the gospel has to hit home, down to your very core. 
Because if you don't understand love and grace and you bring something to your wife in that manner, you can crush her and do great damage. Which brings us to the last point I want to talk about. Christ loved the church by cherishing it and nourishing it. He fourthly, the fourth point there is husbands love your wives tenderly. Christ loved the church by nourishing it to build it up. We see that there in verse number uh, 28 and 29. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. He nourishes and cherishes. Paul is driving home as hard as he can the idea that when you are married, you are one flesh. And the way you handle, the way you treat, the way you respond to your wife is as the way you would respond to yourself. So just as surely as you wouldn't beat yourself up with a brick, verbally or otherwise, so you won't with your wife. That's his point. That's why he keeps driving that home. As and the one the idea of one flesh. That's why he pulls into play verses 31, which is the, the Old Testament uh, quotation about marriage. The two shall become one flesh. He wants to drive home to us that just as Christ and the church are one body with one head, so the married couple are one body, one flesh. Two people distinct. And so the way the husband treats his wife is the way he will treat himself. And he used that sort of extreme example about nourishing or hating there to get the point across. We are to nourish our wives. The idea of nourishing is to give what is necessary for growth. Christ nourished the church by pouring out his Holy Spirit. He nourished the church by giving it ministry gifts. And we've seen that husbands are to minister to our wives by nourishing them with the water of the word. They also have other needs that need to be met. Husbands were to nourish our wives spiritually. Seen that a second ago. We nourish them physically. It's a responsibility to provide for their physical needs. Food and shelter, clothing, all the rest of that. It's a simple thing. We're also to love them by nourishing them emotionally. And this is where guys get all kind of weirded out. Oh, emotions, don't do with that, right? But we are. They need time with the Lord on their own, and they also need time with us. Husbands, our wives need to need for us to hear their heart speak. They don't need us to fix every problem. And it's the easy thing. We're, we're guy. I'm a carpenter, right? I see a broken thing. It's like, okay, how do I fix that? Cut it out. Do this. You know, Heather comes to me. and She's got a problem. All this stuff's going on in my life, and I'm thinking, okay, so first you got to do this, and I start giving her a four point, you know, how to fix the problem. She doesn't want me to fix a problem. My wife is very smart. She can fix a problem herself without my help and probably do it better at the same time. What she wants is to share her heart with me and have me listen to what she's saying and listen and put my arm around her and support her and encourage her so that she can has the strength emotionally and physically and spiritually to deal with whatever problem that might be. I'll tell you a funny story. It's not Heather and I, I promise. Uh, there is a great little video 
on YouTube. You can look it up and watch it. It's called It's Not About the Nail. And as a husband and wife having this long conversation, and, and she says, I've got these terrible blinding headaches. And the husband, and he's looking at her, and you can just see his eyes are jumping up and down like this. And he keeps looking at her, and he goes, but, but it's, it's just, she goes, just listen to me. I just want you to listen to me. And the husband says, well, it's just, it's a, you know. And finally, he goes, look, if you, it's the nail. And she goes, it's not about the nail. And the camera pulls back, and she's got a three-inch nail sitting right in the middle of her forehead. And he goes, but honey, if you just let me get a pair of, no, no, I don't want you to fix it. It's not about the nail. Just listen to me. And then at the end he goes, okay, you know, and he goes, I love you. And he, he gives his wife a hug. And as he leans forward to hug her, she hits her head on a post and bonks the nail. And oh, and he goes, if you let, just let me pull that. No, it's not about the nail, right? It's a funny, I'm telling you that because that's what we're like. We're, we're problem fix oriented. And sometimes what our wives want more than anything else in the world is just to sit still, shut our mouths, open our ears, and listen to them and hear their heart so that we know how to pray for them silently, so we know how to minister to them wisely and carefully. Nourishing our wives is so critical and so important. It's how we love them. But there's something else here, and this is the heart of it. It's also the idea of cherishing, and the word is talpi, and it means to treat with tenderness and affection. It means to care for and comfort. It has this sense of gentle love. Christ cherishes the church. It's his body which he loves. Christ cherishes the church by his abiding presence with her. He cherishes her, and one day, you know, the Bible tells us that he will sing songs of love over us. Our loving Savior, I I mean this in the most respectful way I can, has a romantic sense. And one day he will stand over his church and he will sing a song of love to her. He loves her and he cherishes her. Husbands, we are to love our wives in exactly the same way. We are to cherish her in mind that she is, I know some of you are going to hate this, but listen, this is what the Bible says, as a weaker vessel. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 7, you husbands in the same way, love your wives, live with your wives, sorry, in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of God, grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. I'm going to say this as carefully as I can. There is absolutely no place in a marriage, Christian or otherwise, for a rough, abusive husband. Absolutely none. That's what the Bible says. Proverbs 18.22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Your wife is a massive expression of God's grace to you. You don't have a wife, men, because you deserve it. It's God's grace and God's favor towards you. The greatest expression of God's grace in my life, aside from the salvation which I have through Christ's death, is the gift of a wonderful wife. He finds favor from the Lord. He obtains grace from God. That's exactly what that means. 
In Proverbs 12, verse 4, the Bible says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Listen, men, your wife is your jeweled crown. Cherish her, value her, highly value her. I'm well aware that in some cultures, wives are valued a little above children and the family dog. It breaks my heart to see it. But we need to get something through our heads, and we're all pretty stubborn, so I'm going to say this loudly and carefully. We are no longer in the culture of an unbelieving world. Faith in Christ the church and the way it lives and practices may be practiced in many various cultural styles and ways, music, food, setting, artwork, all of that. But the mindset and the attitude and the behavior of the men and women in that faith is no longer to be driven by the culture in which we are and were surrounded. Our culture does not, should not, must not derive how we respond to our wives. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. In Philippians 2 verse 5, he pleads, have this attitude, have this mindset in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Men, you are not to take the culture in which you grew up and respond to your wife in the way that culture does. You have a brand new culture. One of the things I love about Noble Park Baptist Church, among so many things I love about it, is that we are so many different cultures and backgrounds. But the moment that you trusted Christ... The moment that you believed in Jesus and were added to that church, those cultural differences were pushed away. And what we have in common is Christ and what drives our thinking and our actions, our behavior, our mindsets and our attitudes must not be the culture we came from, but the Word of God and the Spirit of God that fills us and the Christ who saved us. So we are to love our wives and cherish them and value them the way that Christ did. In Philippians 1.27, Paul said this way, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only conduct yourselves in a way that fits with the gospel message. The mindset of Christ was one of love and grace and humility to lay aside his glory, to humble himself to a level that none of us can comprehend, never mind copy or repeat. He came in the form of men, in the likeness of men, to become obedient to death, even the death of the cross. That was Christ's mindset. And Paul says, you have the same mindset, the same attitude towards each other and towards God. Christ loved the church as his bride. He cherishes the church. Husbands, let's love our wives not according to the culture we were raised in, but according to the Christ who died to save us. Love your wives, guys. And I am speaking to my own heart as much as it is to yours. Let's love our wives not when they have submitted to you. That's a very easy buyout some of us will put in place. Well, it says wives submit before it says husbands love. So as soon as she submits to me, I'll love her. That is not the way it works. 
How did God demonstrate His own love for us? Think of Romans 5, verse 8. Did God demonstrate His own love for us after we had come to Him grieving over our sin? And after we had sought His forgiveness? And after we had begun to trust Him? Is that how God loved us? No. Praise God. Glory be to the living God that God demonstrated His own love for us in that while we were Sorry, we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Husbands, do not wait for your wife to obey God by submitting to you. You love her as Christ loved you. Husbands, let's love our wives as Christ loved us. Don't wait. I'm going to say the same thing. Wives, we said it last week. If you weren't here last week, I want, I hope you'll go back home and listen to the message from last week to put everything I'm about to say in the right context. But wives, submit to your husbands even when he's not loving you as Christ loved you. Don't wait for him to obey the Lord. You obey the Lord whether he is or does not. Whether he does not now or never will. You obey the Lord. You know what? When we stand before God and He looks at me and He says, He will not. He will not say to me, Nelson, why did Heather not submit to you? She does. Don't get me wrong. And He won't look at Heather and say, Heather, why did Nelson not love you? But He will most certainly look at me and He will say, Nelson, I commanded you in my word to love your wife. Why did you disobey? And he will also say to you, wife, I commanded you in my word to submit to your husband. Why did you not obey? I will not have to give an account for how my wife behaves in that sense. But I will most certainly have to give an account for how I have or have not loved her. I can tell by some of your body language that some of the things I'm saying are hitting home. And I'll tell you right now, to prepare this, was tough. You can ask Heath. Last night we had an interesting conversation. But one of the great dangers and one of the great struggles for a preacher and a pastor when you open the Word of God and you preach and somehow you look at it and go, I feel like I'm so far away from what I should be. And yet God has given me the responsibility to preach this. So I'm making it absolutely clear, again, like I start off with, we have a great marriage. But it's not perfect, and we need work, just like everybody else in the room needs work. So I'm going to invite you to do something. If your wife is close by, would you reach out and grab her hand, and we're going to pray together. I'm going to pray for God to bless our marriages, to work deeply in our marriages. You can go over there if you want. It's all right. <laughs> I just I saw Priya look over, so I... <laughs> God bless you. (laughs) Would you stand with me? And we're going to pray together. Yep. We're going to pray together. Sorry. I'm going to do it too. Loving Father, we give you thanks again this morning. For the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us to the point of death, 
He gave himself for us in a level and a manner that we cannot even begin to comprehend. And loving Father, this morning I give you thanks for every marriage in this room. Father, for those who have spouses or are away right now, Father, I pray that they will take time to be together this afternoon to pray together and think through some of the things that have been said this morning. Father, for those here in this room, the marriages that are together this morning, Father, I plead with you, I cry out to you, O God, that you will greatly bless the marriages in this room. Father, for the husbands, I plead with you, O God, that you will do a great work in our lives. Deeply touch us with the power of the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit to compel us to change, to love our wives deeply, to love them sacrificially, to love them purposefully and ministerially, and to love them tenderly. Oh God, I cry out to you that you would bind the marriages in this church strongly together. Father, I plead with you that we would, we would know the richness of the blessing of godly marriages and godly homes. Father, for the young people in this room who are looking at their parents and wondering about this marriage, the mystery of what it really means to be married, Father God, I plead with you that you would display to them through their parents the truth of godly marriage. Father, I give you thanks for my wife, as each of the men in this room will give you thanks for their wives. Father, some of the marriages in this room need work. Father, I am almost certain that there are words of confession and forgiveness that need to be expressed and sought for. Father, I plead with you for the grace of God to overshadow. The husbands and wives will reconcile on their knees together with the word of God open. That we would know the beauty of godly marriages all through this church. Father, bind the marriages together tightly, we pray. But Father, also we thank you for the message of the gospel packed into this passage. The beautiful comparison of Christ who loved and died and gave himself to sanctify us and set us apart and clothe us in robes of righteousness. Father, if there is one person in this room, even more, two or three, that do not know what it means to be truly forgiven by God for their sin, Father, I plead with you that you would do a great and a powerful work in their lives, that they would know what it means to be truly saved. Father, we cry out to you for your blessing on this church, and we give thanks and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.